What will you do without freedom? Will you fight? Strength against that? No! We will run! And we will live! Fight and you may die. Run and you'll live. At least a while. And dying in your beds many years from now, would you be willing to trade all the days from this day to that for one chance, just one chance, to come back here and tell our enemies that they may take our lives? But they'll never take our freedom! Best movie ever. Anybody else agree with me? Best movie ever, Freedom. Take out your Bibles this morning. Turn to the book of Galatians. We'll be in this book the next few weeks as we get back to our verse-by-verse study uh, through the book of Galatians. It's on page 470 if you're using one of the Bibles provided. Uh, This is the way we predominantly study the Bible here at Orchard Church. And uh, this is the 14th book of the Bible that we are looking at completing since we started the church seven years ago. I think we should celebrate that. That's pretty exciting. 14th book of the Bible. That we've gone from uh, chapter 1, verse 1, all the way through. How many of you guys like meat? Guys and ladies. You like meat? You like steak? You like chicken? All right. Any vegetarians? Okay, I'm praying for you. Sorry. I'm sure you'll probably live much longer than we will, but uh, I like my meat. Well, if you like meat, you're in for some meat the next several weeks as we dig into the meat of the word in the book of Galatians. Now, we just came off of our marriage series for four weeks called The Vow. We had a lot of fun. We laughed a lot. Very practical every week. Hopefully, you're putting into practice those things that we talked about, but we kind of turn a little bit of a corner as we jump into the meat of the word in the book of Galatians. Uh, Not that it's not practical, because it is very practical but in a different way. This is more of a doctrinal book. Doctrine means teaching, and it's going to affect what we believe. And here's how it works out practically in our life. You see, the things that we believe affect the way that we think, and the way we think affects the way that we live. If you agree, say yes. And so, so we're going to get into the meat of the word. We're going to learn some things that are going to change the way we think, which changes the way we live as it makes it out into to, uh, the practicality of our life. I, I love when I'm in conversations with people in our community um, and they don't know that I'm a pastor. I try to keep that on the down low as long as I possibly can because as soon as you tell them you're a pastor, oh, you're a pastor. You know, they're like, oh, sorry, I didn't mean I was cussing all those words before, you know. And I, I've been playing golf, you know, sometimes with somebody and, and you know, it'll be like the sixth or seventh hole before they'll finally say so what do you do and I go well I'm a pastor oh I'm so sorry for those previous six holes and all those f-bombs and stuff I dropped you know and I'm like it's okay you don't answer to me but I but I love when when they find out I'm a pastor and they'll usually say something and I'll say you know do you go to church anywhere you have a church no I'm, I'm not really religious and I always come back with the same statement neither am I neither am I and when I say that they usually like what are you talking about, Willis? What? What? Some of y'all back in the 70s, 80s, you know what I'm talking about. They're like, what? And I'm like, yeah, I'm not, I'm not. But you're a pastor. I says, right. I'm a pastor, but I'm not a religious person. And if you're looking for a religious church, don't come to Orchard Church. Because it's not about religion here at Orchard Church. It's about a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And that's what the whole, yeah, we can celebrate that. 
And that right there is what the book of Galatians is all about. It's not about religion. It's about relationship with Jesus. And the word religion, I looked it up, it comes from an old Latin word back in the 12th century. And and the root word of religion actually means bondage. Bondage. And that's why we've entitled this series, Freedom. Escaping the bondage of religion to live in the freedom of our relationship with Christ and His Word led by His Spirit. Because God did not send Jesus to this earth to make us religious. He came so that we could have a relationship with Him. He didn't, he didn't come to put us in bondage of religion, but to set us free in our relationship with Him. And you know, I think most of us would agree that religion has messed a lot of people up. If you agree, say yes. Um, I, I can just tell you a quick story. Uh, my neighbor that lives across the street from me, I've asked you guys to pray for him before and his wife, and they've been to our church a, a few times, and we've been working on them for five years. And one of the biggest barriers that I keep running into with my friend, my neighbor, we, we've really just taken them in. We're kind of like family to them, and we've really just show, tried to show the love of Christ to them. And, and I've, I've shared my faith many times. He knows where I stand. And, and what holds him back more than anything else is people who are religious. You know, his parents actually have made it hard for him to come to Christ because for many years they didn't know Christ. And then they supposedly, I don't know, God knows their heart, they found Christ. But then all of a sudden their life became a bunch of rules and regulations and do's and don'ts. And my friend saw that and he said, if that's what Christianity is, I don't want any part of it. And religion has turned a lot of people off. And i got to be honest with you when I say this. Sometimes I enjoy hanging out with him. You know, and being a friend to him and spending some time with him and trying to reach him for Christ. And you know, and he's real, he's authentic, he's raw. You know, he, he cusses and he does some things that he's not a Christian. You, we cannot expect unbelievers to live like believers. And you know, I just accept him and I love him where he's at. And I am praying that one of these days he'll come to know Christ. He's actually um, agreed to come to a group that's starting to meet at my house for unbelievers where we talk about Christianity. And that's a great step. But i got to be honest. I enjoy hanging out with him a lot more than I enjoy hanging out with religious people. I mean, I know some religious people. I grew up around some religious people. And I mean, they, they can be very hypocritical. They can be very judgmental. Uh, they got this holier-than-thou, you know, attitude about them. I, I don't enjoy that. Do you? And, and that's what we're talking about. A relationship with Jesus, not about religion. You know, when Jesus was on this earth, he attacked the religious leaders more than anyone else. Because they were hypocritical and it was about rules and regulations. Let me give you a working definition of the word religion that is really the foundation of our study in the book of Galatians. The word religion, here's a definition. It's in your notes. Man's attempt to please God by adhering to rules and regulations. Religion is man's attempt to try to reach God, be saved by God, gain God's favor by adhering to rules and regulations. And so as we jump into the book of Galatians, as we do every book of the Bible, we, we want to set the context. Because I've told you many times the three most important rules of Bible study, help me church, are context, context, context. So let's set the context of the book of Galatians. First of all, who wrote the book of Galatians? The writer is Paul. We see that in chapter 1, verse 1 through 5. What's the very first word? 
Paul. Paul, an apostle not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ. Apostle means sent one, sent by God. And God the Father who raised him from the dead. And, and all the brethren who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins, that he might deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. So Paul identifies himself at the beginning of this letter. The writer of this letter was Paul. When was it written? It was written around 50 AD. So 15, 20 years after Jesus Christ, you know, was resurrected and went back to heaven. Who was it written to? It was written, notice what Paul said here in verse 2, to the churches of Galatia. Most of Paul's letters were written to a church, you know, the church in Corinth, you know, things like that, the church in Ephesus. But this is written to several churches in the area or region of Galatia. And I, I've put up a map here so you can kind of get an idea. It would be today where is modern day Turkey. Today it's modern day Turkey, but back in Paul's day it was called Asia Minor. And Galatia, you can see right here, is this region right in this area. It included cities like Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra, and Derby. This kind of slice of Turkey right here, if you will. That'll be a good way to help you remember that. It's today modern day Turkey. It's a slice of Turkey. And, and he wrote to several churches. And these were churches that Paul himself had planted. He had started, he led people to Christ, he made disciples, and he left these churches there. And so, why was it written? Why was the book of Galatians written? It was written to correct false teaching. False teaching that had found its way into the church after Paul established the churches in Galatia. Now, let me give you just a little bit of background, hang with me if you will, uh, uh, about Paul and how this sets the context of this book. And, and you're going to find out in this book of Galatians that Paul is really mad. He is really upset. I mean, he is ticked off. Why? Well, Paul, before his name was Paul, and some of you know this, so help me, church. His name was Saul, Saul of Tarsus. And he was actually a very religious Jew. He was a Jew. He was very religious. As a matter of fact, he was a religious leader. He was a leader of leaders in the religion of Judaism. He, he was a Jew. And he followed the law to the letter, to the letter of the law, keeping the Old Testament Jewish law to try to please God. He was brought up under a, a tutor named Gamal who was one of the most famous Jewish rabbis of that time. And many believed that Paul, or Saul at that time was his name before Paul, that he was going to one day take Gamaliel's place as the greatest Jewish rabbi. I mean, he was a rising up-and-coming young star that was committed to the Jewish religion and, and keeping the law. And he hated Christians. He hated them. As a matter of fact, he wanted to get rid of them. He persecuted them. He, he killed many of them. The Bible lets us know that he signed off on one of the first Christian martyrs, a man named Stephen. Paul was the one that signed off and said, yeah, it's okay, because they did not believe in the Christian faith. They did not accept Jesus as the Messiah. And so he, that was his whole you know, MO, was to get rid of the Christian faith and churches and Christianity and, and, and try to get people to understand Jesus wasn't the Messiah. And so one day, Jesus is on the road going to a place, a city called Damascus. Some of you know this. And on the road to Damascus, he's going there to persecute Christians and to attack them and put them in prison. And he's going there to do this. And on the road to Damascus, Jesus himself, the resurrected Lord, shows up to him on the road to Damascus. Now, I don't know about y'all, but that would get my attention. 
and it got Paul's. And in that moment, on the road to Damascus, you can read the story in Acts chapter 9 later. It gives you the commentary of, of his conversion. He was completely saved. He was completely changed. And in a moment, in an instance, he went from being a persecutor and killer of Christians and trying to destroy the Christian faith to embracing the Christian faith and becoming the greatest evangelist, preacher, missionary, maybe that's ever walked the face of this earth. I mean, there was a 180-degree turn in this religious man's life, and he becomes an apostle, a sent one. And what did God send him to do? What did Jesus send him to do? To preach the gospel. And the gospel, the, what is the word gospel? What does that mean? You hear it in church a lot, gospel. You know, I, I received the gospel, I heard the gospel, I preached the gospel. What does that mean? Gospel means good news. Good news of what? Good news that Jesus Christ came to this earth, died on a cross, shed his blood to pay for our sins, was buried but did not stay dead, and on the third day he rose again so that we could have our sins forgiven, our conscience clear, and a relationship with God restored that was separated by sin. If, if that's the gospel and you agree, say amen. Amen. And he was sent to preach that good news of the gospel. That it's not about the law. It's not about sacrificing animals. It's about accepting the free gift of salvation and what Jesus Christ did for us. And that was his life. So he goes to this area of Galatia and he preaches that gospel, that good news that frees people from their sins. And frees them from, and understanding Galatia, they weren't Jews. They were Gentiles. They were pagans. And, and most of them there, they... they they worshiped false gods and idols, and they had to do all this stuff all the time to work to impress their gods, and they had to make sacrifices, and they had to pray prayers, and they had to cut themselves, and all this crazy stuff and chants to please their gods, and then Paul shows up and said, listen, I got great news for you. Jesus Christ died for you. He can forgive you for your sins. He loves you. He accepts you. You have a relationship. You're free from all of that. And revival broke out in Galatia, in all these churches that accepted the free gift of salvation by grace through faith. But then after Paul left those churches and he went on to start other churches, there was this group of people, they're called the Judaizers. And they came in and they, here's what they taught to the churches. They said, hey, we're glad you're Christians and you've accepted Jesus as the Messiah, but now you also must become a Jew. To really be saved, it's Jesus plus being Jewish. It's Jesus plus some more works. It's Jesus plus the law. It's Jesus plus surgery. And some of y'all like, say what? Okay, here, here's how it works. Back in the Old Testament, when God started his people, the nation of Israel, he did it through a man named Abraham. And here's a real quick story on that. When, when God came to Abraham and said, I'm going to make a great nation out of you, the nation of Israel, it's going to, you know, I'm going to bless those that bless you and Curse those that curse you, and it, it, this nation is going to be born out of you. And, and, and there's going to be a sign and a symbol that everybody's going to know you're my people, and I'm your God by this symbol, by this sign that I'm going to put on you. It's, it's my agreement, my covenant, my promise with you, Abraham, and your people. And so Abraham's like, cool, this sounds great. You know, we're gonna, you're going to be our God, and we're going to be your people, and, and there's going to be a sign and a symbol. And he's thinking, bling. He's thinking some jewelry. You know, am I going to get a necklace? Am I going to get a ring? You know, what is the sign and symbol that everybody's going to know that we're God's people? And so he's like, you know, God's, and I'm, I'm, I'm kind of, kind of, this is my version of this, okay, <laughs> that we're getting into now. I always tell you guys when, my version. 
And I can just see, you know, it's like Abraham's like, okay. And so he's like, am I going to get some bling? I'm going to get a ring. I'm going to get a watch. What am I getting? He's like, no, it's going to be circumcision. <laughs> and Abraham's like, cool. What does that look like? What is that? And God's like, come here, Abraham. There's ladies in the crowd. Let me, and he whispers in his ear what it is. And, and some of y'all right now are like, what is that? If you go see Pastor Baird, I got questions table after the service. He, he fields all those kind of questions, okay? Right out there. So he, he whispers and he tells Abraham what it is. The sign, the symbol. And Abraham is probably like, can it just be a ring? <laughs> some jewelry? Some bling? Really? That? Can, can I think about it for a while? Nope. Abraham agrees, and circumcision becomes the, the sign and the symbol of the covenant. And, and they decide that on the eighth day, every Jewish boy, that they're going to have that symbol of, of circumcision. Now, now, here's the deal. Paul, when Jesus died on the cross for us, it set us free from all of the law. We're not under the law anymore. We're under grace. And, and that included circumcision. And we'll get into this a little bit more next week, but in, in uh, Acts chapter 15, there was a whole meeting about this, that can people still be Christians and not keep the law? Can people be Christians and not be circumcised? But here's what happened. The Judaizers came into the church in Galatia and they said, it's, it's Jesus plus the law. It's Jesus plus works. It's Jesus plus circumcision. Talk about bondage. I mean, that's, that's what they were saying. I mean, revival had broken out. They come in preaching that kind of message. I mean, nothing will kill revival quicker than all men line up here for circumcision. Okay? But that's what was going on. And, and the problem was the Judaizers wanted to lead Christians away from their freedom of a relationship with Christ and back into bondage of keeping the law. That's why the theme of this book is freedom in Christ. Not about bondage. You'll find the word bondage like six times throughout this, this six chapters of Galatians. See, Paul wrote this letter to correct the Judaizers' false teaching. And Paul is ticked. He is upset. He comes out swinging. I mean, he's like, I can't believe they're teaching this false stuff. And now Paul usually begins his letters with praise. He's usually like, hey, I'm Paul. You know, grace be to you. Peace from our Lord Jesus Christ. And you guys are doing this well, you know, and all that. And he commends them. He didn't have any time for that stuff in Galatians. I mean, he's too mad. He's too upset. He just gets right to the point of what he's upset about. And here it comes in verse 6. Paul says, I marvel that you are turning away so soon from him, Jesus, who called you in the, what's the next word, church? Grace. You know what grace is? Unmerited favor. Undeserving. It's a gift. It means we, do, we didn't do anything to gain God's favor. It's what he did for us. It's the free gift of salvation. We didn't deserve it. It's, it's getting what you don't deserve. He said, I, I marvel. I'm blown away that you're turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel. A different message. Which is really not another it's really not even a gospel at all, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. He says, I, I marvel, I'm shocked, I'm blown away. You see, the Galatians were abandoning their liberty in Christ for legalism. They were moving from liberty to legalism. Legalism is laws and rules and regulations and do's and don'ts. And verse 6, Paul says, you're beginning to turn away from the gospel I gave you of Jesus, this, this, this phrase, turning away, it comes from the Greek, metatithemi. It means in the process of changing sides. 
Now the good news is they weren't completely there yet, but they were headed back to the Old Testament Jewish laws and circumcision and all the other things that that included. They were in the process. In other words, Paul's saying you're moving away from grace and back toward religion and works to try to please God and gain salvation. And let me just ask this question to everyone that's here this morning, I think that should challenge all of us. Do you ever find yourself moving away from God and his grace and his word and towards something else? You know, maybe it's toward legalism, maybe it's toward sin, maybe it's toward stuff, maybe it's you're moving more towards a person rather than your relationship with Jesus. Here's the danger, church, because when we step away from our personal relationship with Jesus and our freedom in him toward anything else, we're stepping toward bondage. When you start moving away from God and away from Jesus, you move toward bondage. Now, what's interesting is for some people, religion is attractive. They're attracted. They're drawn to religion. Let me give you a couple of reasons why people are drawn to religion. Why does religion draw so many people? Well, first of all, it provides a system of measurement. And we like that. We like to know where we stand, you know? Where, what, what do I need to do? What do I not need to do? And, and, and so what happens is people, like, they think that, like, they're on this scale, you know? And, if, and our good is on one side, and our bad is on the other side of the scale. And so if we do something bad, then what we do to tip the scale back is we do something good. And so to stay in good graces with God, if you mess up and you do something bad, then do something good, and that'll kind of outweigh it. And we, we kind of look at it as a scale. It provides, religion provides a system of measurement. And the problem with this is then Christianity becomes a, it becomes a message of do's and don'ts. And how many times do you talk to people about your faith, and they're like, well, I just see that as a bunch of do's and don'ts, rules and regulations. You know, you hear things like, well, I don't drink, cuss, or chew, or associate with girls who do. And if you do, then I'm better than you. I mean, that's, that's kind of how it takes on when it's religion instead of Christianity. And here's the problem with that. We begin to judge each other by our rules. And we judge each other by our standards of do's and don'ts. You know, and we begin to compare ourselves among ourselves so we can feel better about ourselves. And here's the problem with that. We're not supposed to compare ourselves with each other. We're supposed to compare ourselves with Jesus. We're supposed to compare ourselves with this book. And I don't know about y'all, but I got a long way to go. We got a long way to go. But that's what religion does. It provides a system of measurement of rules and regulations and do's and don'ts. So we try to figure out where we're at. And you know what? Religion affects how people view churches too, doesn't it? You know, people will be affected by rules and regulations and do's and don'ts. You know, well, churches should do this and they shouldn't do that. You know, and they'll begin to judge churches by their religious background, their religious influence. Well, you know, I, I don't think that a church should have that kind of music. I think a church should only have this kind of music and that kind of style and this kind of style. I don't think that you should dress that way when you go to church. I think you should dress this way when you go to church. I don't think you should raise your hands when you go to church. Well, if you don't raise your hand, then you're not. I mean, it's just like all over the place. Versions of the Bible. People come in sometimes churches and they, well, if you don't use this version of the Bible or that version of the Bible, then you're not right with God. You're not really a church. I've had people in our community that I've invited to our church that when I tell them we meet at Prairie View High School Auditorium, They've said something to this effect, affected by their religious background. Can you really be a church and meet in a school? You know, and they're serious. Because religion has taught them a church is a building. 
A church is a building with the, that's white and has a steeple and a cross on the top and some stained glass. And religion has taught that. And we understand we're a church wherever we decide to get together and have church. Amen. I mean, it doesn't matter where it's at. It's when the body of believers, the family of God, comes together to study God's Word and worship God's Word together. That's church, y'all. That's church. But religion has that influence. You see where I'm going with this? Say yes. Religion provides a system of measurement. And so some people are drawn to that because they want to know where they stand. Here's another reason people are drawn to religion. Religion provides a false comfort. And people are drawn to that, but it's a false comfort. People influenced by religion tend to think, you know, I'm okay with God because my parents were religious, then I'm okay with God. Religion teaches them that. You know, I, hey, I'm okay with God because I've been baptized. I've been confirmed. I'm a church member. And, and those things make me okay with God. And those things are good and all those things are fine, but those things don't make you okay with God. Those, those are outward things. You know, religion has taught people, you know, that, that uh, I, I can be comfortable, I'm okay with God. I'm a CEO Christian, so I'm okay with God. You say, what is a CEO Christian? Christmas and Easter only. Some of them will be showing up in a few weeks. And so because I go on Christmas and Easter, whether I need it or not, I'm okay with God. And that's religion. Religious systems provide a false comfort. Here's the deal. Religion never works. Religion never works. It's about freedom in Christ. So the rest of our time this morning, I want us to look at what Paul talks about, the problem with religion. Three things. The problem with religion that Paul addresses in this first chapter. Number one, religion brings confusion. Religion brings confusion. Look what Paul says in verse 7. He, he's talking about, I can't believe you've been moved away from the gospel I gave you. And he says, which is really not another gospel, but there are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. They're troubling you. This word trouble is from the Greek word tarasso. Everybody say tarasso. See, now you know how to speak Greek, all right? Tarasso, it means confusion. They're confusing you with a different message than what I gave you about Christ. Now, you see, it, religion brings confusion. We hear this question all the time, and it's a fair and honest question. And it's brought about by the confusion of religion, and it's this. How do we know which religion is right? How do we know which belief system is right? I mean, there are so many different religions and denominations in, in the world. I mean, are the Episcopals right or the Lutherans right? Are the, are the Baptists right or the Charismatics right? Are, are the Catholics right or are the Mormons right? The Muslims, the Hindus, the Buddhists. And they've got all these different religions and all it does is confuse people. It confuses people with these names and with these different labels. And I, I'll tell you, I, I, this is something that I am very passionate about. We shouldn't be caught up by the name on the sign of the door. What we should ask is, what do they teach? What do they believe? Is it based on the truth of the Word of God or not? You know, there used to be a day when somebody would have a, a name on their sign, a denomination or religion, that you go, uh, we know exactly what they believe and what they teach and what's, what to expect. It's not that way anymore, folks. I could take you to the same denomination, 10 different churches, and you may hear 10 totally different things. We got to ask the question, not what is the name or the denomination or the label, but what, what are they saying about the Bible? What are they teaching about the Bible? What, what is the truth? 
Is it the truth of the Word of God that they're sharing? Or is it their rules and their regulations and their man-made religion? People ask me sometimes, you know, what does the Orchard Church believe about such and such in the Bible? What, what, what are the Orchard Church belief, beliefs? What, what do you believe, Pastor, about such and such? And I, here's what I say. It doesn't matter what the Orchard Church believes. It doesn't matter what I believe. It only matters what this book says. That's all that matters. That's not about religion. That's about the Word of God and truth. And I don't want to be known. That's why we're Orchard Church. We don't have some denominational label. Because I don't want us to be a church known for a religion or denominational label. I want us to be a church that's known for this book right here. That's what I want us to be known, boy. Listen, I, I don't know what they are or where they come from, but I know they teach the Bible. I know they're about the Bible. See, that was the problem. These Judaizers came into these churches and they began to teach religion, man-made rules. It was Jesus plus. Jesus plus works. Jesus plus law. Jesus plus surgery. And it just confused these churches. What? We, they had just come out of a pagan religion where it was all about rules and regulations and trying to please false gods. And they thought they had freedom in Christ. Now they're finding out, oh no, there's more rules and regulations. And you see that in churches today. It's Jesus plus how you dress. It's Jesus plus what kind of music. It's Jesus plus how your hair looks. It's Jesus plus baptism. It's Jesus plus communion. It's Jesus plus tongues. Listen, all those things, we do a lot of those things. You know, baptism, communion, and all those things. But listen, that is not what makes us a Christian. It's our personal faith in Jesus Christ plus nothing. We were saved by grace through faith. And Paul's message is, was this. It's Jesus plus, say it church, nothing. That's how you're saved. You, and you don't impress God with your works either. Listen, God will never love you more than he loved you when he sent Jesus to die on the cross for you. Religion brings confusion. Look at what Paul said in verse 8 and 9 because he is so upset. But even if we, Paul says, or an angel from heaven, he says, I don't even care if an angel shows up from heaven, if they preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, which is the gospel of Jesus plus nothing, let him be accursed. As we have said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you than what you have received, let him be accursed. Is Paul mad or what? He is ticked. This word accursed comes from the Greek word anathema. Not to be confused with enema, two totally different things. It means to be dedicated to destruction. I mean, Paul's like, anybody that preaches anything but the gospel of Jesus Christ, they, they're, they're dedicated to, to destruction. You remember when we, as a church, went through the whole book a couple of years ago of Revelation? Right before the second coming of Christ, there's going to be a one-world religion with a one-world re leader, and Jesus Christ is coming back to kick some butt against the one-world religion, and he's going to destroy it because Jesus isn't about religion. He's about relationship with him. Adding anything to grace doesn't improve it. It only cheapens it. It cheapens it. Grace, getting what we don't deserve. And when Christians step away from living in God's grace and they begin to rely on their own power and their own efforts and their own work, which leads to disappointment, it leads to failure, and it leads to confusion. That's what happens. Number one, religion. The problem with religion, it brings confusion. It never works. It's about freedom in Christ. Number two, 
The second problem with religion, religion focuses on pleasing people more than pleasing God. Religion focuses on pleasing people. Look what Paul says in verse 10. For I, do I now persuade men or try to impress men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I am still trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Paul says, listen, I am not trying to please men. I'm trying to please God. These guys are coming and teaching this other gospel, this gospel work, because they're, they're trying to get you to please them. You know, we, we, our goal in life should not be, listen, if you try to please other people, you'll, you'll never please other people. You, you will, you'll fail, you'll be disappointed, discouraged every time. I'll say this, and I hope you understand my heart on this, and I hope, I hope this is something you appreciate about Orchard Church. You know, there are a lot of things we could do as a church. There's some good things we could do as a church. But you know what? Our bottom line is here, we're not trying to please you guys we're not trying to please our community. We're trying to please God. We're trying to do what God's word tells us to do. And sometimes we have to say no to some things to say yes to God. Religion is about pleasing people. It says, look at me. L did you hear that prayer I prayed? That was some good stuff. Did you, did you see how much money I gave? I just got my giving statement from last year. Would you all like to take a look at this? You know, it, it's, it, look at how I serve. Look at what I, I do this and I do that and I do this and nobody ever appreciates me. Because you're doing it for the wrong person. Did, did you hear what committee I asked to be a part of? Do you know what I head up? Religion tries to please people. I had one of the coolest things happen last Sunday in our church. It was second service. People were coming in the door and there was a lady in our church that is not normally on our host team now, I've seen her serving in children's ministry. I've seen her in the hospitality. I've seen her doing a lot of different things. But I've never seen her helping with our host team at the door. And she was standing at that door right back there. And she was handing out newsletters. And she was welcoming people. And I said, oh, hey, are you on the host team now? And she said, no. I just noticed that people were coming in and no one was at this spot. And so I just, I just jumped in and started helping and serving, doing what I can to help. And I said, thank you. Wouldn't we love a church full of people with that kind of heart to serve? That's somebody who's doing it not to please people or get recognition, but doing it for God. You know, I just feel like God is leading me to do that's, that. That's the heart of Christianity, doing it to serve God, not people. And you know, a lot of times you can find out whether people are doing it for God or doing it for others, sometimes even in the, the ways they serve. We have a ton of people. You know, it takes over 150 people serving on Sunday morning at Orchard Church for us to conduct two services. I mean, there are people here early morning setting up, doing things, people you never see. And you know, a lot of behind the scenes. And I, I believe those people are, are doing that because they're doing it for God, not for, for people or for show or to be seen and things like that. And you can tell a lot by where people serve. And you know what? I'm going to share with you guys right now. We have a need in our church at Orchard Church right now. And it's a good need. And here's the need. It's those guys right there. How can you say no to that? We need your help. I don't know if you all have noticed, but it's getting harder to find a seat in here. And that's a good thing, amen? The last four weeks, we have averaged between 850 and 900 people. We had over 900 a couple weeks ago. The most we've ever had on a regular Sunday here at Orchard Church. And we praise God. Yeah, we can celebrate that. <laughs> Here's the deal. That also means more children than ever in our children's ministry. Some of y'all don't realize this. The last four weeks, we have had over 200 children, like 200, close to 250 children in our children's ministry during the services, which means we need help. 
And, and Barb, our children's director, came to me this week. She said, I have about 25 holes I need to fill. I need to fill these in order to keep up with the growth. And so we need your help. And if you say, listen, I'm, I'm not doing this for a person, but I'm doing this for God. I'm willing to serve wherever's needed. Listen, church, we're, we're a family, right? We're brothers and sisters in Christ. And family serves together. They help together. And, and sometimes we hear people say, well, you know, I'm not called to that. We're all called to serve. Last time I checked my Bible. You know, and in our house, we, you know, if we waited till our kids wanted to serve, they would not serve. We're trying to teach them that we do this for the good of the family working together because we love each other and we want to help each other out. And the same should be true in the church. And so we need some help. And in your newsletter this morning, if you want to take it out right now, you can. There's a little box that says Children's Helper. And, if you, and, and first let me say thank you to the hundreds of you who do already serve in our children's ministry. But we need some help. Uh, and so I'm hoping we'll get, you know, 40, 50 people. Here's how we do it here at Orchard Church. We're not asking you to serve for like, you know, go into children's ministry every Sunday, miss every service from now till Jesus comes. No, that's not how we do it. Our children's director, Barb, is awesome. It's one service once a month. You don't even have to miss service. You, you can serve one and sit one once a month. Listen, we can all do that, church. We need your help. And you guys are always great at responding. So if you'll check that box, give us your contact information. Barb will contact you this week because we need to be serving God. Not because we're trying to please anybody, but God. Because it's his church. He needs our help. Let me give you some contrast between religion and Christianity. And just some quick statements that will help you understand what we're talking about in Galatians. You have it in your notes. Religion is spelled do. Christianity is spelled done. It's not about what we do to get salvation. It's about what was done for us. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace we've been saved through faith and that not of ourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest anybody should boast. Religion is spelled do. Christianity is spelled done. Religion is our attempt to try to reach God some way with our works or efforts. Christianity is God's attempt to reach man. Sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. Romans 5 eight. But God already showed his love toward us. And while we were still what? Sinners. When we couldn't do anything on our own to press, impress God. When we were sinners, Christ died for us. Religion focuses on the external. You can fill this one in. Christianity focuses on the internal. On the heart. First Samuel 16.7. Samuel said, Man looks on the outward appearance of what people do and don't do. But God looks on the, say it church, the heart. Everybody say heart. God is concerned with our heart. Now, let me say this, because some of y'all are already really nervous about Galatians. And you're asking this question. So does this mean that we can become a Christian and then we're free to do whatever we want? Live however we want? It doesn't matter? Are we free to just do whatever? No. No. Get it this way in your notes. Liberty, freedom is not license. Liberty is not license. It's not license to go out and live however we want and sin and do whatever. But it is freedom from rules and regulations and trying to please man so we can live led by the Spirit of God and the Word of God and our relationship with Christ so that everything we do is a response to our relationship with Him, not rules and regulations. If you understand the difference, say yes. And there's a big difference. But it does not mean that we're free to live however we want and sin and all that. And well, you know, it's all cool because I'm free. You know, think about it this way. Why do you want your family and loved ones to do the things for you that they do? Do you want them to do it because you posted a list of, this is how we treat each other in the home. 
This is what you're supposed to do, and so if you do these lists, I'll be happy. Or do you want them to do nice things for you because they love you? Because they want to. You know, Valentine's Day's coming up, okay? And no, no ladies told me to remind anybody of that. I'm not a big, now, I'm not a big Valentine's Day guy, okay? Here's why. Because it makes me feel like I've got to do something nice for my wife because Valentine's Day says so. I'd rather do it on a different day so that she knows I'm doing it, not because a rule or regulation or day tells me to, but because I want to. That's the way Christianity is supposed to work. Christianity is having the freedom to live for the one who gave his life for us. Not that we live for him because we have to, but because we want to. Because he did everything for us. How can we not do everything for him and live for him? And, and that is so freeing, church. When you see people living for Jesus Christ out of their personal relationship with him and his word, not because of rules and regulations and religion. Religion never works. Freedom in Christ does. Religion brings confusion. Religion focuses on pleasing people. And number three, religion focuses on man's works. It always focuses on man's works. 98% of the religions of this world will tell you, if you want to be saved, if you want to go to heaven, if you want to have eternal life, then here's your list of do's and don'ts. And good luck, hopefully when you get there, your good will outweigh your bad and you'll get in. That's what 98% of the religions of the world teach, is works. That's what these Judaizers' message was. It's Jesus plus all these works. I like to tell people, when people ask me about different religions, I, I try to simplify it in this way. I say, forget all the names and labels of all the religions of the world for a minute, and you can look and analyze all the religions of the world, and they all will fit into one of two categories. Either you are saved by grace through faith, you accept the gift of God and what Jesus did for you, and there's nothing you did to earn it, or it's something you do or you don't do. Works. You can separate every denomination and religion in the world by those two things. Is it a gift by grace through faith, or is it something you do or don't do? Is it by works? Judaizers, and now the, here's the deal. Judaizers came in, and their claim was, Paul taught you all that we're saved by grace through faith in Jesus plus nothing. But Paul really didn't know what he was talking about. You know, that whole thing that happened on the road to Damascus, it kind of wigged him out, and He's kind of, you know, he really doesn't know what he's talking about. And, and so they, they, they were trying to convince them that Paul, they're trying to discount Paul's authority. And they were saying, this, this is what he made up. Here's the deal. When man makes up a religion, it always involves works. We know that this didn't come from Paul making it up because it wasn't about works. It was about freedom. It was about grace through faith. Man-made religion always focuses on works. So Paul, in the remainder of this chapter, which believe it or not, we're going to finish real quick. Paul gives two proofs that his teachings were from God and that these were not man-made religions. The first proof that he gives that this was from God was, was his conversion on the road to Damascus. Pick it up in verse 11. But I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached to me is not according to man. No man told me this. Because if man would have told him, it would have been based on works. For I neither received it from man nor was I taught it from a man, but it came through the revelation of who, church? Jesus Christ himself gave me this gospel and message. For you have heard of my former conduct in Judaism. He's, he's saying, this is what I was like before on the road to Damascus. How I persecuted the church of God beyond measure. I tried to destroy it. And I advanced in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries in my own nation. I was a, I was a rising star in that religion. Being more exceedingly zealous for the traditions, the laws of my fathers. But when it pleased God, something changed. 
who separated me from my mother's womb and called me through his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach Jesus, him, among the Gentiles. Paul is saying, listen, you know what I was like before on the road to Damascus. Something happened, something changed. There was a 180 degree change in my life. What changed? He had a personal encounter with the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. And he said, that is proof alone that I didn't make this up. I mean, this is the one day Christian killer, the next day, he's the greatest evangelist in the world. He's like, how do you think that happened? It was my encounter with Jesus. I mean, that'd be like me coming in here next week and saying, okay, I got an announcement for you guys. Something new that we learned that we didn't know before about Christianity. Cats are now Christians. Now, first of all, I would never say that about a cat. Maybe a dog, but no, just kidding. You know, I mean, you guys, what, what? That doesn't make sense. Where did you get that from? This, this, Paul is saying, my conversion, my life change. I was on my way to Damascus to persecute Christians, and the next thing you know, I'm preaching the gospel. That proves that this, wasn't, this is not a man-made religion. This came from Jesus. The second proof that he gives is not only his conversion, but his conversations. Who, the people he talked to, the people that influenced him, or lack thereof. Look what he says in verse 16. I did not immediately confer with flesh and blood. He says, after that road to Damascus experience where I saw Jesus, I didn't talk to anybody historians and scholars believe that, that he went to Arabia, as we're going to see in a moment, for about three years. It was just him and Jesus. And he was growing in his faith. He says in verse 17, Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles. Because some were saying, well, he was influenced by the apostles. He's like, I didn't go see the apostles before me. But I went to Arabia. That's in the desert. And I returned again to Damascus. Then after three years of spending just time with him and the Lord, I went up to Jerusalem finally to see Peter and remained with him only for 15 days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now concerning the things which I write to you, what I'm telling you, indeed before God, what does Paul say? I do not lie. I'm not lying. I did not make this gospel of grace through faith and freedom in Christ up. I didn't get it from Peter. I didn't get it from the apostles. I got it from Jesus. Afterward, I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. That was kind of his hometown. And I was unknown by face to any of the churches of Judea which were in Christ. Most scholars believe that was for about seven years. But they were hearing only. Paul, Paul is making the point that his conversion and his conversations proved that he could not and did not make up the gospel of grace on his own. It came from Jesus himself. And, and you know, I've been witnessing to people before and I, I tell them that, you know, Salvation is by grace through faith plus nothing. And sometimes they'll say, well, that sounds too good to be true. And you know what I say? It's too good not to be true. Man couldn't make that stuff up. Man wouldn't make up. I mean, all the other religions is about us trying to please some God somehow. Christianity is God already loving us and reaching down to us. I mean, who would make up a religion where the God comes down himself and dies for the people? All the man-made religions are about us doing something for that God. Religion focuses on man's works, which never works. Christianity focuses on the work done for us. It's about freedom in Christ. And let me close with this. I want you to notice what God did for Paul when he changed his life. Look at verse 23 and 24. Paul says, but the churches, they were hearing about, they were hearing about my conversion. They were hearing only. They were hearing that maybe Paul had truly gotten saved. He who formerly persecuted us as Christians... Now we hear he preaches the faith which we once, which he once tried to destroy. His testimony was getting out, and they glorified God in me. When, but here's what's interesting. When did God change 
Paul's life. It was on the road to Damascus. And I love when he tells his own testimony. Look back up at verse 15. And we're closing with this. Paul said, I was one day killing Christians. I, I, I thought that's what I was supposed to do. I was a religious person. I was caught up in religion and works and rules and regulations. Verse 15. But when it pleased God. But when God stepped into my life. Everything changed completely. But when it pleased God, Paul was changed. He was new. He got a fresh start. He got a second chance. He was forgiven. He was given purpose in life. He found true fulfillment. All when it pleased God. And here's the good news for all of you this morning, church. But when it pleased God can be your story as well. That can be your story. And for some of you, that is your story. I was going this way in my life. I had no purpose. I had no fulfillment. I had no satisfaction. But when it pleased God and he stepped in, it changed everything. If that's you, say yes. That should be a lot of you this morning. But when it pleased God, my life was different. My life was changed. Maybe some of you are here and you've been caught up in religion and you've been trying to please God through all your rules and regulations and works. And this could be the most freeing day of your life because today could be, but when it pleased God, you saw the truth. It's not about what you do, it's about what was done for you. For some of you, today, your marriage could change. I know we just finished four weeks of marriage, but you could say, you know, maybe my marriage is struggling, I don't know if it's going to hang on, I don't know if we're going to make it, but when it pleased God and he stepped into the middle of our marriage and he brought it back together, everything was new. Everything was changed. Maybe it's some situation with your family that it's not going well, you don't know what you're going to do, but when it pleased God and he stepped in, everything changed. Maybe it's your finances. Your finances, you don't know how you're going to make ends meet. You don't know when your job is going to be. But when it pleased God to step in, he's going to do something miraculous if you'll allow him to. Maybe it's purpose in life, meaning, fulfillment. But when it pleased God, that little phrase can change everything in your life just like it did in Paul's. Religion never works. But a meaningful relationship with Jesus does. And it changes everything. Jesus did not come to make us religious. He came to set us free. Free to have a personal relationship with him. Don't take my words for it. Take Jesus himself. John 8, 36. So if the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. Would you bow with me this morning with heads bowed and eyes?